Hello everybody, I'm your host Hal Curtis and I'd like to welcome you to The Space Industry by SatSearch, where we share stories about the companies taking us into orbit. In this podcast, we delve into the opinions and expertise of the people behind the commercial space organisations of today who could become the household names of tomorrow. Before we get started with the episode, remember you can find out more information about the suppliers, products and innovations that are mentioned in this discussion on the global marketplace for space at satsearch.com. Hello and welcome to the episode. Today I'm joined by Edwin Fair of Xiphos Systems Corporation, a Canadian manufacturer of onboard computers and processors and a SatSearch member. Today we're going to talk about advancing the use of FPGA-based OBCs in space applications. Now FPGA stands for Field Programmable Gate Array and is basically a form of integrated circuit designed to be configured by the user in the field as needed. So firstly, Edwin, thank you for being with us today. And is there anything you'd like to add to that introduction? Uh, well, first off, I just want to thank you and SatSearch for the opportunity to join you to uh, to talk about this. Um, you know, Xiphos has been providing powerful processing, FPGA-based uh, processing solutions for over 20 years. We're kind of the grandfathers, I think, of new space. That's what I'd like to, to say. And we've been in over, you know, 40 different LEO missions across our, our product line. Basically, what we focus on is uh, providing swap-optimized products um, that are that use industrial-grade, you know, COTS components in a fault-tolerance architecture that can be de- deployed in harsh environments, so space, obviously, but so providing, you know, very robust performance but at a fraction of the cost of, uh, you know, your, your typical space-grade um, solutions. Well, so, perfect. So let's dive into to the topic today. Now, traditionally, sort of standard microprocessor and microcontroller-based uh, architectures have been used in space missions, and particularly in uh, small satellites. What advantages do FPGA-based OBCs bring to space missions as an alternative? The main advantages are with respect to scalability, uh, performance, and most significantly, uh, flexibility. So, so in general, you know, any microprocessor-based solution is, um, or microcontroller-based architecture is flexible, right? Because it's based on software, and the software provides a, a vast amount of flexibility and you know, including the ability, for example, to, you know, upgrade your, your code in orbit if you had to. So, you know, that's that's a, an, an important feature. You know, obviously, processor-based or, or um, microcontroller-based systems are obviously a step above, you know, kind of bespoke, you know, application-specific hardware solutions, you know, even if it has FPGAs. Because, you know, typically in those solutions, the FPGAs are, you know, what's called antifuse-based or flash-based. So they're programmed on the ground, generally not programmed in orbit. So so obviously a software-based solution provides uh, that additional flexibility. But designing around a FPGA-based OVC, it really provides the ultimate in flexibility. And for many reasons. So first of all, um, generally, you know, it's, it's an OVC. It has an embedded processor, so it has that same software capability. But at the same time, the, the the processor and software is very tightly coupled with you know a massive amount of available FPGA resources and like you mentioned it allows you to reconfigure it allows you to design logic that is specific to your application so first 
the real-time uh, speed of the FPGA coupled, plus the tight coupling to the processor, just increases the, um, the overall um, performance, right? And flexibility, right? You have software and FPGA. So effectively, when you're coming up with your application, you can um, design your logic and software to the specific needs of the mission. The, the other thing that's interesting about uh, FPGAs in general is that even the I.O. itself is flexible. So there's each pin can be reconfigured or configured to a different type of I.O. depending on your needs, depending on your needs for your speed, depending on what you're interfacing to, and so on. So, you know, that also provides a, 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 a huge amount of flexibility, right? So you've got the software, you've got this this configurable FPGA logic, you've got the I.O. pins themselves, which you can configure to different um, technologies. Well, I'll talk about some of them later. And in fact, just like the software can be update, updated in orbit, in this particular case, we're talking about both the software and the logic having the capability to be updated in, in orbit. So again, adds to the flexibility, adds to risk reduction. You know, if you're, you know, in, if you go back ten or twenty years, if you were designing with a antifuse-based FPGA, once it was programmed on the ground. And it launched. That was it. You can't couldn't do anything about it. So there was a huge amount of risk. The amount of verification validation obviously was maybe an order of magnitude higher than what it has to be um, when something is reconfigurable. You know. So uh, so so that those are that's the main thing. So again, scalability, performance, and most significantly, flexibility. Important, you know, benefits and, and objectives that many uh, different new space companies have for their technology. So it's interesting to see it in that area. Now, another sort of aspect of this, we're seeing lots of approaches in for space missions based on system on a chip technology or system on chip technology. How I've seen both both versions used. I wonder if you could uh, just briefly talk about the architecture of um, FPGA based system on chips and their applications in space. Yeah, sure. That's a, that's a, that's a that's a good question, and it's very much a a modern question. So, like I said. Uh, Zyphos has been doing this for 20 years, right? And if you go back along its product line, you'll find processor-based solutions that effectively, in general, it always has an FPGA in the middle. But the difference was that in some of the previous uh, solutions, including even just the previous generation, it was a pure FPGA. So um, now you can take an FPGA and turn it into a processor solution. You can turn it into an OBC, but it requires the use of what's called soft IP cores. So these are um, logic IP cores that are integrated into the FPGA to perform the processing functions, maybe some of the peripheral functions and so on. The problem is with that is that you're using up a lot of valuable FPGA resources. So you're stealing FPGA resources for the processor function, but you know, so what you have left is very, you know, is, is much smaller. So if you have some you know, application-specific logic you have to develop, well, you've just used up a lot of your available logic. And uh, also, because you're using logic resources, um, generally, you don't have the speed. You know, you, you cannot run a um, FPGA's processor at the speed of a, you know, ASIC-based processor. So that's where system-on-a-chip comes in. So 
with the reduction in, you know, going now to 16 nanometer and smaller types of uh, silicon processes, it allows a much higher level of integration. So effectively what a system on chip is as compared to a, just a, a, a standard FPGA is the fact that it has, it's a hybrid solution that has what, what, what are called high hard cores, hard IP cores. And those hard IP cores form the complete processing uh, system. So you have, those are effectively an ASIC, right? That's embedded uh, on this die. And around it is all the available FPGA resources. So on a single die, you have the FPGA resource, and now even more massive FPGA resources, uh, embedded on the same die with um, ASIC-based processing cores. Okay, so that that effectively is a system. That's why it's called a system on a chip because it's it 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 includes all the, the the components, and I'll get into that in a second. What of what's required for a processing system? What happens is in that case. So now the the, the processing function itself is actually an ASIC. So now it runs at full speed. You know, it doesn't suffer the constraints of, you know, using FPG logic, which, which kind of uh, slows it down. Um, and because it's so tightly coupled, you know, it's on the same die as the FPG logic, the, the mutual performance is, is higher as well. So you get an overall, another benefit, another increase in performance, right? So the, the FPG logic, which, you know, basically runs in real time in nanoseconds, and then you've got the processor, which is now an ASIC, so running in its true, you know, true na native high-speed mode, and then the coupling between them, because they're on the same die, is very efficient and fast. So overall performance is increased. So if you look at the, a SOC FPGA, if you take a look at the hard cores that are in there, you'll, you'll find everything that you'll need on a standard, that either that makes up a processor or that is required around the processor. You know, you know typically you'll see these, some, of the, some elements in a microcontroller, right? Which, so it's kind of a single chip processor with external memory and stuff. But so that's kind of the same, uh, the, the same basis. So the systems on a chip, the, the hard cores would include the processors themselves, uh, level one and level two cache, so L1 and L2 cache. Typically it has some onboard high-speed memory that that's SRAM based, so it's a lot faster than going out to uh, your your like DDR memory. It's got external memory controllers, and and those typically, um, especially from the, the more modern FPGAs, you know, will support your DDR RAM, whether it be DDR two, three, four, and and so on, uh, in multiple configurations and, and sizes, uh, along with the support, for example, of error correction coding logic like ECC. You know, those are built into these hard cores. Um, it'll also support NOR flash, external NOR flash for program memory, where you'll store your software and when you st actually store your firmware for the FPGA. And also it'll support um, external NAND flash for, um, you know, kind of non-volatile memory storage, you know, mass memory, if you like. There's even, for example, controllers for like EMMC if you need mass memory. And then you'd also have the standard set of peripherals like timers, interrupt controllers, DMA controllers, and a, and a broad range of, um, of peripherals and interfaces. So th those are typically what would be included, in, like some of the terminology you'll see in, in some of these FPGAs in the, pr in, the pr in the processing section, okay, the PS, whereas the programmable logic section has the logic, the PS has all of these hardcores. So 
because all of these subsystems, the processing subsystems are implemented uh, effectively in an ASIC, the, the, their performance is maximized. And so you, you take that maximum performance, provo- you know, you combine it with the programmability of, a, of an embedded FPGA, You've, you have the ability to select the IO type and so on. So you pretty much have you know, ultimate flexibility for kind of uh, a, a really a broad range of uh, space applications. And then on top of that, like I mentioned before, the fact that you can reprogram both the logic and the software in orbit allows you, I mean, not only as a mechanism to correct mistakes or whatever, but I think more importantly, it provides you for an upgrade path uh, for your mission so you can launch it. And then you can upgrade with capabilities as you, you know, as maybe as your business plan advances, as you get new customers with new requirements, you can actually adapt it and upgrade in the future. Yes, it was a long answer, but I, I hope I, I, I hope it kind of differentiates, you know, what a system on a chip FPGA is versus a standard FPGA, and then obviously compared to just a standalone processor. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was a, a really, uh, really thorough overview of the uh, the architecture there. So th- thank you for that. And obviously, a lot of what we talk about in space missions comes down to to trade offs, and, and you mentioned that this was probably a lot of the motivation for the the development of of FPGA based OBC systems is how do you how do you cope with these trade-offs how do you produce innovation that can um, remove the limits to some extent that, that are put on you by other technologies so uh, aside from the uh, lots of things you've mentioned in terms of flexibility and upgrade paths etc I wonder if you could describe any of the other advantages of designing you know FPGA based uh, multiprocessor systems on chip Okay, so, so so flexibility obviously is is a key thing, and and but so in effect also, uh, if you look at the modern, you know, the newer, more advanced uh, systems on the chips, on systems on the chips. So so for example, um, I think a good example, and I think a lot of people in the industry are aware of it, um, is the Xilinx Zinc Ultra Scale Plus. So this is a very powerful FPGA system on a chip. In fact, it's a multiprocessor system on a chip, which we'll talk about a little more soon. So we use that on our on a, a couple of our products. One is called the Q8, and the other one is called the QAJ. And these are both processing solutions, little OBCs based on the UltraScale Plus. So these processors contain the you know multiple uh, multi-core ARM processors. So it's got, for example, a quad-core application processor, a dual-core retime processor, uh, a GPU. So, so seven processors in one single device. So that's a lot of horsepower that's available to like really advanced applications, right? That need it, right? Um, and on top of that, in terms of the the systems on a chip, it includes. It obviously includes traditional interfaces like you know serial ports and I2C and SPI and general purpose I/O, you know the type of stuff you'd see on on microcontrollers. But uh, it also provides kind of a suite of like really high performance peripherals and interfaces. So you've got like multiple gigabit Ethernet um, max. You've got um, a couple of CAN bus cores. You've got USB two. You got USB three um, built in, and you've got um, you know, high-speed PCIe. So when you add all these interfaces, like if you did this, if you did this in an FPGA, for example, like a standard FPGA, you would have well, either you need a massive FPGA, or you would have absolutely nothing left to um, develop anything else in there. And on top of it, just the development effort uh, to to integrate it and test it and so on into an FPGA would be you know it's a large engineering effort. Here they're built into the device, right? So what that does is really allow 
a very broad range of applications. So you can imagine with 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 CAN, which is quite uh, typical. But when you start adding, you know, gigabit Ethernet multiple ports, and when you start adding USB three and so on, um, and a lot of other cores that I'm not even mentioning here, it just it the application set is 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 enormous, and it can meet you know generally the performance requirements of many, many types of interfaces. So, and then you look at the IO itself, right? Like I mentioned before, the different types of IO, you know, you can, do you need low voltage TTL? Do you need low voltage CMOS LVDS because you want to run it, you know, you want to run it a gigabit per second. Or what if what if you have, you know, um, multi gigabit per second uh, IO that you want to interface to, for example, a very, very high speed sensor. It's all, it's it's there, it's, pre- it's, it's available. So you can really design your system to pretty much match up with any type of suite of sensors or actuators or or uh, and so on, right? Because because of that, um, well, the flexibility and just the it's it's a very powerful set of tools that you have to uh, work with. And on top of that, you have the FPGA stuff, you know, the massive FPGA logic that's available. So so really, you end up with this core solution that can be configured really to meet pretty much the requirements of any application. And we'll get into that, I think, maybe a little more later, I'm sure. Well, yeah, that was actually going to be my next uh, next question. So could could you, you know, discuss some of the examples of the, of the use cases and applications that, that FPGA-based uh, systems on chips, uh, OBCs, uh, have been used for, or either that you've seen or that, uh, you know, that you can talk about that are in development, um, if, if you're happy to? If you imagine it, you know it can be done. That's that's. You know, but in terms of you know what we've seen in real life, you know I'll get I'll, I can touch on that. But first, I just wanted to because if you talk about some of the use cases, I think one of the things that's important is to differentiate it, differentiate a solution to, for example, a traditional ba- a traditional processor based OBC. So I, I think w- once we understand that's that, that uh, distinction, and you know already touched on some of it, but. Some of the other things is more of an architectural level thing, and and it and the it's where FPGA shine again, you know. So if you look at a traditional OBC that's let's say processor based only, right? So generally you'll have a processor on a board, and um, you know if you if you want to be able to integrate a system relatively easily, that'll have some type of bus interface, right? The the, the OBC, right? So it'll have it could be compact PCI, like there's many. You know, compact PCI has been around a long time. It started in the industrial market and was, you know, adopted in the space market. Um, more recently, VPX, and now even more recently, Space VPX. So, so you have a processor, which is just the processing engine with a a bus uh, as a, um, which would then that board would then interface to a backplane, and then you would expand your system. By sticking in peripheral cards that support that same bus, you know, so you have that same bus interface, whether it be compact PCR, whatever. So typically, there's kind of a kind of a complex, complex, either logic could be done in FPGA or in a in a specific application specific chip to interface with the bus, and then you can stick on a bunch of peripherals if you'd like, you know, if you want analog to digital converters, if you need a specific, like if you needed a CAN bus, you you might find a peripheral card with a CAN bus and so on. So you you, you expand it by you know, populating your your backplane with the peripheral cards that you need for your mission. So you know, it it in in a certain sense that 
makes it's kind of a systems engineering job putting all these things together and very often you know the traditional obc people will have kind of these bespoke uh, available off the shelf peripheral cards so yes it's expandable but as you can imagine it's it, you know it does so at the expense of size weight power and effect performance right because you've got this processor decoupled by a bus so you're then limited by the performance of that bus right and then how many things do you can you put on the bus you know there's a lot of constraints around it so so that's a traditional obc you know you, you typically see these boxes you know whether it be like a 3u or 6u box where where that would be just the processor with all of its different peripheral cards in a in a chassis right so that's your traditional system now in comparison, if you look at a subsystem that's made out of an MPSOC FPGA-based OPC, everything is much more tightly coupled, right? So it's it's everything is very highly integrated and it's truly embedded, right? It's not, you know, it's it's not you know distributed across these multiple, you know, uh, peripheral cards. So all of those interfaces, you know, the the whether it's a CAN bus or you you need to interface to an ADC or you need space wire, you need camera link, you know, those would probably that, those would generally be done on a on an interface board. In this particular case, those things are all done in the FPGA, and the interconnects between these interfaces are in the FPGA. So obviously, so all that all that capability, which was spread across multiple boards, is now effectively including the processor itself embedded in that multi multiprocessor system on a chip, which with its associated FPGA logic. So obviously, so what, what does that do? It's a, you know, it's a, um, it's a, it's a massive step in the reduction of, of, of swap, right? So size, weight, and power, you know, effectively like our Q7 processor is 23 grams, you know, the size of a credit card, right? So, and then a, a board that would be associated with it could be about the same size, right? So it's, it's, it's very, very small, highly, highly integrated. Um, so you, you have much lower size, much slower weights, uh, much lower power, and of course, lower cost, right? You don't have all these peripheral boards, a backplane, and, and so on. So, so what does that give you? Well, if you look at the small sat market, you know, whether it be universities or even even companies, you know, who are launching commercial commercial ventures, are launching one U satellites, which are or launching, you know, three U or six U. I mean, the traditional OBC. I mean, it's bigger than the, the. I mean, if you want to put a solar panel on the uh, on the OBC and fly it, you can try, but it's not going to fly very long, right? So, I think, so, so, what it, this does is it, it enables that processing power, all that performance, to even even work on a CubeSat, which is not possible with with um, your more traditional OBCs. Now, I just wanted to give a kind of an overview of what. So, what does a subsystem look like that would have a, a FPGA or MPSOC FPGA-based OBC in it. So um, if you take a look at our, our Q cards, like the Q7 or Q8, those are our, our processor products. You know, they're, they're credit card size or maybe double credit card size uh, processor boards that contain all of the core processing and FPGA capabilities and those, you know, effectively embedded within that MPSOC, right? The board also contains obviously all the memory that you require to operate your, your, your uh, processor. And it, it also, you know, along with power supplies, it also has a lot of supervisory um, circuitry and stuff that, that allows, allows us to use these, these COTS boards in, in space, right? So with radiation and so on, right? So we have a lot of, you know, fault recovery and stuff like that. Now, 
most of the I.O. that are available, that's available from the FPGA, comes out of a mezzanine connector on the bottom of the, of the cue card, right? So the, the, the processor board itself doesn't have a lot of I.O., right? I mean, it has a lot of I.O. coming out the bottom of it, but in terms of I.O. you connect, connect with, it's limited. It's really only like maybe, you know, Ethernet, for RJ45, if you wanted to use it for development, but you wouldn't use that in flight. You would use that on a daughter board. So the cue card itself would connect to a custom daughter board. And that custom daughter board would provide, you know, the required interfaces, connectors, uh, if you need some extra functionality on that board, and the form factor that's required for your mission. Like if it's a one U CubeSat, it would be a one U size board, and then you would um, mount the 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 cue card on top of that board. So the, the processing function is separate, and the... Um, the, uh, the daughter board itself is what has all the, the application-specific stuff. And the size of that daughter board is really driven by, well, maybe there's a mechanical form factor you have to meet, or generally it's driven by how many connectors you need in the interfaces, right? So um, so that, that's a typical what, 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 what it would look like, okay? And you, so you compare that. So you, you can have a board that's, you know, maybe you know, uh, 50 millimeters by 100 millimeters by, you know, 12 meter millimeters high in terms of a set. And that's your, that's your OBC, you know, as opposed to maybe a 3U or 6U, uh, um, you know, backplane-based system. So much smaller, right? So it could fit on a CubeSat. So in terms of applications, because you asked me about applications, so general types of stuff, controlling cameras, interfacing to cameras is very uh, common. So sensors, hyperspectral instruments, other types of sensors. Um, because you have the processor on board, plus FPGA, you can do onboard processing. Um, and I'll talk about that as well later. Software-defined radios, that's a very popular, that's a very common uh, application right now. And that could be for like IoT, you know, Internet of Things. That could be for broadband communication. That could be for RF sensing, whatever, whatever, whether it's a, a receive transmit or just a receive uh, radio. So uh, these these boards are very well suited for that application. You know, satellite-based science, ISS-based science. You know, we have multiple systems on the ISS uh, right now as we speak. And then, of course, now, today, you know, which is all the rage, robotics, lunar applications such as landers and uh, rovers, et cetera. So if, like, pretty much like I had mentioned, the applications uh, are, are endless. And one particular, I'm making this a long answer, but one particularly interesting use case, which is not really possible with a processor-only based uh, solution, is something that we, we it, it's effectively hardware-accelerated uh, onboard processing. So, you know, at Xiphos, we call that hybridization. So, effectively, what we're doing is we're leveraging the real-time processing capability of FPA, FPGA logic to accelerate very complex uh, software algorithms. So, like usually on the ground, you know, when you develop an algorithm on a i7, you know, a, an Intel i7 processor that's, you know, burning 200 watts, right? The problem is, okay, so how do I take that algorithm and now run it on a 2-watt or 5-watt space-compatible processor? I mean, you can't, right? So that's where hybridization comes in. So what we do is we actually take a look at the algorithm. We look at what the processor is doing. You can identify where it's spending it, turning its wheels, spending its time. And you could look at those specific functions and say, okay, can I take that function out of software and actually accelerate it in hardware? Can I make, put things in parallel? Can I pipeline it? Can I, you know, can I, can, there, there are certain things that, that software does that is easily accelerated in hardware. Certain things are better suited in software, so you leave it there. And then what you do is you kind of trick the software into thinking it's 
running software, but in fact, it's a, it's a combination of software, but then for those critical, very time-consuming, real-time things, it's actually being run in the FPGA. So we've accelerated multiple algorithms uh, doing that. So we could take something running on an i7 and run it on the Q7, which runs at two watts. And we've done things like hyperspectral compression algorithms, um, location orientation, like for in-orbit ser- in in orbit satellite servicing or you know docking to the space station, for example. You got to be able to you know, orient um, something that you were um, you know, coming up to. Uh, feature tracking, uh, which would be used maybe for visual odometry or you know autonomy for a rover as it's roving around. Um, quantum key stuff. Uh, we've 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 uh, accelerated some privacy amplification things and a whole bunch of image processing. So that that's something that is really unique and leverages the hybrid logic processing capability of a of a MPSOC FPGA. Very long answer to your question, but I think hopefully I've covered the gamut. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, illustrative of just this huge array of functions and and use cases that that these systems are suitable for. And, and it's kind of that's on the one hand. On the other hand, as as you mentioned, there's such a focus on the low swap value, credit card size systems. You know, so marrying those two requirements and looking at it from a commercial sense, is it is it possible for these systems to be considered as or, or developed as COTS solutions for certain applications, certain mission profiles? Well, how, in all honesty, I would say the, the future is now. <laughs> you know, it, it it already is. It already has. It already, yeah. So, so you know, if you if you t- the, the the MPSOC FPGA based OBC, such as like the Q7 or Q8, I mean, they're they're COTS products, right? They're they're available off the shelf. It's a processing engine, right? What you do with that pro- well, processor processing and FPGA engine. So, what you do with that is really dependent on your end application. So, I'll, I'll give one example, which is becoming um, when you talk about being standardized on these COD solutions. One good example is software-defined radios. Okay, so using an MPSOC FPGA-based OBC, using that combination of processing and logic, um, it's becoming the kind of the de facto standard for um, implementing like new modern high performance uh, software defined radio designs or SDR designs. So if you look at what if you blow up an SDR what is it what is it you know it it it's it's the FPGA it's the processing and then it has generally um, an RF wideband transceiver chip, an example, analog devices has a variety of these of different performance levels. Um, so when you take those wideband transceiver chips and combine it with the FPGA and processing um, horsepower, you know, it's the ideal SDR development environment. You know, so you just got to add in your RF subsex subsystem, you know, your your LNAs and your, your power amplifiers, and you've got a, a very powerful but flexible SDR, right? So you could, your SDR could be used, like I mentioned before, Internet of Things, um, wideband RF sensing, broadband communications, really runs the gamut right um you know 5g i guess is going to be the big you know is the big buzzword uh, these days to 5g spend some space so so much so that we actually i had mentioned the qaj so we developed the qaj processor which is a variant of the q8 really just to kind of meet the requirements of kind of these advanced sdr platforms now if you take that one step further another kind of buzzword you hear about um and this has been enabled by this thing and it's 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 revolution i'll call it revolutionary yeah i don't know if, i don't think it's not really just marketing it really is revolutionary is a term called software defined satellites 
it's not just software-defined radios, but so what's a software-defined satellite? Well, it's a software-defined satellite. You know, generally they use this terminology for SATCOM type applications where you want flexibility to change your your um, your waveforms, uh, which is the terminology. Um, so these flexible SDRs are at the core of these software-defined satellites. So so effectively, these 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 flexible satellites, you know, you can refresh them, reconfigure them on demand, right? You can update your waveforms, provide more capability. Um, you know, you know, if you're if you're do- using beamforming antennas, you could change, you know, where, which your the, land, the the pattern on the land so that you could, you know, change your customer set, you know, who who are your customers. So um, so Again, and, and what's at the core of these, uh, you know, software-defined satellites is, in fact, these these MPSOC, you know, FPGA-based OBCs. You know, if you break it, if you get down there, right in the middle of there, that's at the core. So definitely um, a game changer. It's a game changer, and it's it's, I would say it's it's being adopted today, as we speak. There's sort of knock-on challenges then for other aspects of engineering. I guess you think if you if you developing a system software defined or, or otherwise that you know has uh, a much longer term upgrade path available to you than you're traditionally used to. You have to think about making other aspects of the satellite uh, work for that whole mission lifetime. So I think um, how the engineers approach these systems, how they can deal with these systems is important as well. So how do you, th- how do you think on that? How do you think that um, engineers may be able to how well do you think they may be able to adapt to the use of FPGA-based system-on-chips uh, OBCs if they are more used to the traditional, you know, microprocessor-based OBCs? Okay, so I think in general, if you look at the FP, you know, if you look at these these MP, these FPGA-based OBCs, you know, you you need two fundamental um, skill sets. One is software, <laughs> and the other one is you know logic development. Right, so you know VHDL or Verilog and so on. Now, honestly, so if you look at software, you know that's you know that that skill set. Actually, in fact, both skill sets, both logic and software, are very you know that's that's a very typical type of skill set for any microprocessor microcontroller based system. Because you know, of course, you can have your processor, so that's the software side. But generally, in in today's systems, you also have FPGAs, right? Because you want to leverage the the kind of the the level of integration, the, the the horsepower that it, the flexibility that it can provide. So a lot of modern, you know, if you break even a traditional MP, um, traditional processor-based OBC, you pull out a peripheral board or or two, you know, there'll be an FPGA in there. So so in general, the you know these these the, the, the companies generally have these skill sets uh, anyway. Um, companies like Xiphos and probably other companies like us, you know, we also offer the capability to, you know, if a customer does, is not comfortable with logic, uh, we could develop logic, right? So the customer doesn't have to have that intrinsic, um, that intrinsic capability. Or often customers, what they'll do is they'll, they'll, they'll put that, they'll subcontract that to a third party because they're doing some very specialized algorithm that they, they know a company has done in the past. So, so you don't necessarily need it to that intrinsic capability, but, you know, obviously it helps because it provides you more, uh, you know, it costs you less because you're not subcontracting and so on. So now if you look at what, um, so what is, what is our, processor come with you know it comes with the linux sdk you know software development kit just like you know your 
you know, if a processor is, is Linux-based, they'll, they'll provide the same. So, yeah, we provide all the, the, the drivers and the kernel and the, all the tools that you would require for a customer to develop an applica- the application software for their, for their mission. So, you know, we provide that, but so would a standard OBC. We also provide something, for example, called the Vivado Skeleton Project. So that's a Xilinx tool where you would integrate your logic and so on and, and compile your logic. So we provide that so that if a customer wants to do custom logic, they just put their custom logic in along with the logic that we provide, and then they could com- they can compile a, a, an image based on that. Now, I mentioned that you know if you're designing an MPSOC-based uh, solution, you know, you, you'll need a custom daughterboard, right? Now, as a traditional OBC, you know, maybe you can find all the peripheral boards you need and you can, you know, rack and stack uh, your subsystem, but often there's probably some custom things you're gonna have to design anyway, so you're gonna need some hardware capability. So it'd be the same thing here, right? To develop that um, that custom daughter board would be the same as developing a, a custom um, peripheral board for a traditional OBC. You know, but that, but that being said, you know, if a customer is maybe they're too busy, you know, they're they're they have they're juggling too many balls that uh, they, or they don't have that intrinsic capability, you know, companies like Xiphos, we can work with them to, you know, develop portions of the solution. You know, do we do we can develop the custom daughter board, we can develop any custom logic, all the way to a kind of a full turnkey. So we're, you know, it's it's how we work is flexible and it depends on the capabilities and the bandwidth of the of the customer. And really what they want to focus on. If they don't want to focus on the hardware, they want to focus on, you know, their ground software so that they can make sure that they maximize the revenue, then fine, we'll take care of the hardware. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. But and so aside from the the skill sets involved that the satellite engineer would would need or, or would at least would need to be able to access, are there any sort of significant differences in the processes involved, the the you know, assembly, integration and testing, AIT processes that that the the engineers or the systems engineers might uh, need to need to tweak if they were using FPGA based systems on chips or Yeah, okay. That's a good question as well. Okay, so or or qualification and, and regulatory compliance, sorry, is another another aspect of this, perhaps. Okay, but I would say that, like in general, the procedures are similar. You know, they're you know you're you're testing a hardware platform. You got to test all your interfaces. You got to make sure you you know here's your set of requirements. You got to make sure that your your system meets your set of requirements. So, like in general, in terms of overall philosophy, AIT I would say is the same, but. I guess with the, with the let's say if you take a traditional OBC where you're racking and stacking peripheral cards and you don't necessarily have to worry about logic, um, you know, so that's you know that's you're basically testing at an interface level and so on and just maybe testing your putting you know maybe testing your software right. Um, so with the OBC with with the FPGA based stuff, if you if you were gonna if you're gonna do custom logic, well then that adds a little bit to the mix, but it also adds to that capability. So, so okay. So let's say let's say you took a, a traditional uh, backplane based OBC, you know, so racking and stacking with a backplane. So I don't know. So if you were uh, integrating the system or assembling it and integrating it, you know, you could test, for example, each board at a time. You test the functionality of each board. You might have some general test set, which has a backplane, maybe a golden processor board that runs all your test suite. And then you'll, you know, you'll test one board at a time, and then ultimately you'll put this all together, and then you'll you'll test your software, right? And then you'll go through your validation steps, and then, like you said, qualification steps, and so on. But that's, you know, again, qualification like, like environmental and stuff. That's that's 
par for the course, right? In our business, yeah, that's par for the course. So it would be the same. Once it's integrated in a box, it all kind of looks the same. It's just our our in our solutions just tend to be smaller. That's all. Now, when you have um, an MPSOC FPGA solution, so let's say for example you want to do some. Uh, custom logic, or you you want to interface, uh, you know, specific type of interface in logic. So you, you got to start first with that. So you got to develop those those soft IP cores, those, those core those core functionalities for the interfaces and so on. And you know, the MPSOC itself is just more highly integrated, right? So so now you're developing your 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 um, FPG logic for these interfaces and stuff. You then test it. With, uh, for example, you're going to need drivers, right? Because you're working with Linux, so you're going to need Linux drivers so your application can access it with the right API and, and so on. So you're going to start that level of integration. And then you're going to integrate all of that, including your software or maybe some test software, into the FPGA. Integrate that with the uh, custom daughter board, which is, you know, your application specific stuff and now you're going to start testing this much more highly integrated package right but the principle could really be the same so you could segment the testing maybe even amongst different teams to the individual functions or interfaces so for example give an example let's say at spacewire which is a very common high-speed interface on satellites these days so let's say at spacewire that needs there's an IP core in there. There's some drivers that run on the MP sock, and then uh, you may or may not have buffers on your uh, daughter board. So then you'll plug into that. You'll plug that SpaceWire interface into some type of SpaceWire test set, and you'll test your SpaceWire functionality. Now, you that's one one group working with that board, and then you can have another instantiation of that board to test another interface, maybe camera link, or you know, you want to test your campus interface and so on. So you could segment it. So effectively, it's, it's, like, it's like testing the individual peripheral boards of a, a traditional OBC. So a little more highly integrated in terms of you know, getting access to stuff and so on. You might have to share things uh, a little more. You, know, you might need a few sets to, to spread across your test team. But in principle, it's uh, the same. And then in the end, you know, everything goes together. Everything goes in its chassis. You make sure it meets its requirements, like I said, part for the course for, for space stuff. So not a huge difference. I think it really depends on how much custom development you're going to do. Uh, you know, and often some of this custom development is the IP of a company. It's the differentiator between one you know, um, Earth observation company and another. It's, it's their secret sauce, right? And so, but so... Typical OBC stuff, maybe a little. You can get much better secret sauce with with an FPGA based uh, solution. More herbs and spices in the in the secret sauce. Okay, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Great. Well, I, I think um, we sort of covered all the technical aspects I was going to ask you about today, and you've also touched on a, a, a number of the possible applications and today and for the future. So I wanted to just finally to wrap up whether there was. Uh, any application areas or type mission profiles that you're most excited about with that that based on FPGA, you know, system on chips, or or that or that such systems enable. Right. Okay. Uh, I like ending on what's going to get me. What's keeping me excited about the first of all, the new space industry is exciting just to begin with, right? I've been in the traditional space industry in the past. I spent many years doing that, and this is literally a breath of fresh air. Uh, the level of innovation, the level of risk taking that people are willing to take, you know, the availability of small small satellite launchers, you know, small satellite launchers, you know, to kind of make it 
you know, democratize space. It's it's all it's a great industry to be in, uh, and I encourage you know anyone anyone talking to the children to get them into the business. Um, so, really, the you know, as we were saying, with these FPGA based you know multiprocessor based um, as systems on a chip, OVCs, they can be used pretty much for any mission profile. Because again, they're extremely flexible. They're extremely scalable. So, um, you know, you can start with a. You know, first of all, the, the processes in general are, are low power, right? They they use like like I said, sixty nanometer technology. So in general, you know, the the amount of energy per per MIP is very low in general. Um, so. I, it's scalable. So, so let's say, for example, you have a small one year CubeSat, you know, it's very limited space for solar panels, right? Not a lot of power generation on board. So, but it, it just needs a processor and it needs a few low speed IO. Okay, that, you could do that, no problem. Okay, but then I have a, another application which needs like, you know, 10 space wire interfaces and it's interfacing maybe a whole bunch of other gigabit per second stuff and it's it's got maybe ethernet and it's it's, you know, it's churning a lot of data. Well, okay, so then... Um, you know, you um, that capability is also possible within the same platform. Or maybe you might go from a Q7 to a Q8, for example, in our particular case, if you need that processing. But it's extremely scalable, right? So from a low power, super low power, all the way up to, you know, maybe a higher power, a much higher performance with very high speed interfaces and, and so on. Um, so so like in general, because of that flexibility, like we t- I talked about, I love the new space market. It's because it's really been a boon to us. Like we've been doing this for twenty years, right? So originally we were much more niche. You know, work with space agencies and so on, rovers, and you know, very early days of rovers and stuff was very niche. But it's really not kind of niche anymore, right? So today, cubesats, you know, even nanosats, you know, micro, small sats, all those, all those. You know they're they're being used today for applications that were previously only kind of reserved or associated with much larger satellite platforms, right? Because you didn't have the power, you didn't have the the the, the, the scale or you know the, the miniaturization required. But but today the miniaturization is there, right? Uh, even down to sensors, right? The sensors are being miniaturized, much higher resolution cameras, right? That in the you know the, the uh, you know in tiny tiny packages, so. It allows even these these very small cubesats to do things that were previously not even really imaginable. Um, so you got, like I said, miniature, miniaturization of sensors, like high resolution cameras, um, multi spectral imagers, hyperspectral imagers. You need very high speed interfaces like like LVDS, SpaceWire, camera 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 link. Uh, the successor of Camerlink called Coax Express, which works at gigabits per second. You need these types of capabilities to be able to pull off the massive amount of data out of these sensors, right? So, um, and that's what these MPSOC FPGAs are really ideally suited at, providing these very high-speed interfaces. But then the next question is, okay, so now I've, I've got this really high-resolution, you know, 4K... Uh, image sensor on my little 3U satellite, and I just pulled in a whack of data. I pulled in gigabits per second of data in my little, you know, you know seven, you know, uh, seven millisecond image of the Earth, right? So the question is, okay, what do I do uh, with this data? So what's the dis? So that's where kind of where you have a disadvantage of a CubeSat or the CubeSat. Um, you know, compared to like 150 kilo or 450 kilo type satellite, you know, it's limited in its downlink, 
right? Because it's got, if you don't have a three meter antenna dish hanging outside of your satellite facing the earth, right? You've got, you know, a small little, maybe if you're lucky, an X-band downlink and a small little antenna. Uh, so you're limited in terms of downlink, right? So what becomes important there is onboard processing. You, you, can't, you can't afford to downlink all the data. Number one, it might take multiple passes over multiple ground stations. It might take, you know, you know, um, and if you don't have multiple ground stations, it could take a long time to to uh, to download that data. So you have to be able to process the, the, those images on board and just take down the important artifacts. And then, of course, there's probably going to be some post processing on the ground too. But you got to try to minimize that to try to make it as as um, well, revenue generating is possible, right? Like, if it, the more often you can take your images and get those things down to the ground, the more revenue you're generating. If you've got to wait, you know, a bunch of orbits before you can download a single image, well, your business case, you know, kind of suffers. So it's really, really that revisit time is is important. So, so really, like, I would say that the breadth of these applications is really growing, and it, in large part because of the capabilities of these MPSOC, FPGA-based OVCs, these processing systems. So, so it's created really an exponential increase in demand for these solutions. So like in our case too, like we've grown our team uh, substantially. Uh, we've grown our capabilities. We've grown our product line to be able to meet these demands and the demands that, that are you know coming up in the future. So really, that's been exciting. And, um, uh, you know, and the varied numbers of applications that we're actually involved in is also very exciting. So what it, what excites me even more now is um, these these FPGA and PSOCs, they're increasing in size, they're incre increasing in complexity and, and capability, but yet because the silicon processes are continue to shrink, you know, you don't have big power penalties, which is super important, right, for a satellite, like on the ground, okay, you, you're good, but on the in a satellite, you're very constrained. So, uh, so now, so for example, if if I take a look at the, if I give for example the UltraScale Plus, you have a version that not only has all the stuff I talked about before, but it has an embedded H.265 video encoder. So you're able to do that video encoder real time on board the satellite, which is hugely important. Another one which is super interesting, which we're actually looking at, is um, it has a, there's an ultra scale that has an embedded RF system on the chip, an RF SOC. So it's an MP SOC with an RF SOC. So this thing has eight broadband RF transceivers built into the same silicon. So the capability, I mean, it's an eight-fold, like I talked about SDRs before, so typically you might have one or two channels, or typically even one channel. Here you're talking about eight channels coming out of a single board, right? So these are the, and so the applications that they can bring, whether it be for uh, beamforming or whether it be for maybe even radar applications, it's very exciting because we're enabling capabilities based on, um, you know, effectively what's available from, from these, these processors. So, uh, on top of that, you've got growing tools. So, so now, for example, Xilinx has tools to be able to compile AI code and to run it efficiently on these MPSOC FPGAs. So now, on top of the, um, I talked about onboard processing, AI is, is becoming very important uh, in that uh, in that domain, right? So now we're, we have tools now that can help a customer take his AI algorithms and get them running on our processors is also super important. And last, and but certainly not least, the thing that is super exciting, that excites me the most, is probably is the you and the rest of humanity, I would hope, um, you know, is a return to the moon, right? 
you know, with a goal of, uh, you know, eventually a, a permanent human, a permanent human presence there, and then ultimately to get to Mars, also with a permanent human presence. So that's really exciting. There's, you know, a lot of focus, a lot of effort. Multiple, multiple companies now. I'm a country, sorry, also intrigued and interested in in the same thing. So, like for Xiphos ourselves, we're already going to the moon. We're going to the moon on on three, currently three, possibly soon more missions. So we're manifested in there. So it's super exciting for us, you know, the thought of being able to do that. So, you know, so like in general, we just look forward to, you know, using our technology to kind of advance the understanding of these planets, you know, the moon and whatever, and and help, you know, sustain our our presence there, you know, so that's super exciting. Fantastic. Well, yeah, like you say, I think everybody in the industry is uh, keeps at least one eye on the deep space <laughs> applications of what they're doing. So at least, at least one eye. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You, you can't, you can't avoid it, right? Because every day someone else is landing on Mars, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, um, well, that, that's brilliant. I think that's that's a really good place to wrap up. And I, that, I just want to thank you, Edwin. That's a, a been a bit of a masterclass in uh, FPGA based systems on the chip. I think. Uh, the, the engineers and the, the people in our community will have really learned a lot about the technology and its uses today. So, so we would like to say thank you very much for that. Oh, it was it was it was an absolute pleasure, and I, I hope you know I didn't put a bit too much information in there, but I, you know I thought that I think it's important that under, that people understand what is in the art in the, of the possible with these these things because it, they just provide a huge amount of capability, and you know we have a lot of innovators out there, and uh, you know. I think with what's available today, you're, those innovations are not limited really, or constrained just by the fact that we have to do this in space on a very small satellite. We can do that now. Excellent. Well, yeah, thank you for, for spending time with us today on the, the Space Industry Podcast. And uh, to all the listeners out there, I just wanted to, to remind you that you can find out more information about Xiphos and about all of the uh, the products that have been mentioned here today on, on the SatSearch platform, satsearch.com. Uh, you can also... Uh, request more information about the the systems uh documentation introductions to the company requests for quote everything you might need for your procurement or, or trade studies on the system thank you for listening to this episode of the space industry by satsearch i hope you enjoyed today's story about one of the companies taking us into orbit we'll be back soon with more in-depth behind the scenes insights from private space businesses in the meantime you can go to satsearch.com for more information on the space industry today or find us on social media if you have any questions or comments. Stay up to date, please subscribe to our weekly newsletter, and you can also get each podcast on demand on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Play Store, or whichever podcast service you typically use.